0: It's gonna be better. It's gonna be different. I got a really good feeling about it this year. It's gonna be better. Hey there, friends and neighbors. Dan Cavalieri,
1: Slow Guy on the Fast Ride, here with another episode of the Slow Guy on the Fast Ride podcast. And today we're talking gravel again, and we're going straight to the top. We're going uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. We're talking Unbound Gravel today. And on the line today, I have Christy Moen, uh, Lifetime Off-Road Events and Business Development. And you'll, you'll know her face, you'll know her, your na- her name because of her association with Unbound Gravel. And what I, what I wanted to talk to Christy today about was uh, just the unique perspective that gravel has brought to the cycling world in general, which is that it's, it tends to be women-led. And Christy, um, I was just talking to Amy Charity yesterday, who's the the co founder of, of Steamboat sure. Gravel, and you you and Amy have quite a lot in common in that respect. But I wanted to get your history and how you landed uh, with with Unbound, and and sort of the history of that, and then and then how it affected this tiny little place in Kansas that somehow <laughs> became like. Nobody would have predicted that Kansas would be the home of gravel, right? So, like, I want to jump into that. But, Christy, before we get started, first of all, hello.
0: Maybe only me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Dan. How are you? I'm
1: I'm wonderful. That was a long and rambling introduction. I apologize. It's okay. Tell me a little bit about the history of Unbound and and how you came to be associated with it.
0: Sure. Well, um, I mean... You know, I feel like I've told the story a bit, but um, 2006, there were 34 riders gathered in a parking lot um, on the northwest side of town, a, a hotel parking lot. Um, uh, our co-founders, Jim Cummins and Joel Dyke, um, had been to Trans-Iowa and thought, that's cool, wanted to come back and do something in the Flint Hills, which they saw as really a unique place to ride a bike where a lot of people don't really get to see Or I mean, Kansas is known as a flyover state. Um, and we have a plethora of gravel roads. Um, but the, the, my introduction really came from my husband, Tim, who was one of those initial 34 riders in that parking lot. Um, and coincidentally, shortly after that, um, I had gotten involved with our local chamber and Main Street offices here in town, and they were looking for someone to lead, you know, bringing new events to Emporia. Um, I was put in charge of that committee and really thought, you know, maybe we shouldn't be looking at new events, but looking at people that are doing things in Emporia, that are already passionate about it, and helping them make whatever they're doing bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I immediately thought of of um, DK at the time, now Unbound Gravel, as a, as a place to make an impact and put some of my energy and effort behind um, helping grow that event, which, you know, that's kind of where it started. So.
1: You're an Emporia native, correct?
0: I am. I like to tell people my children were um, the third generation to graduate from Emporia High School. So my family's <laughs> wow. been here for quite a while. Yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. Um, yep. It, it it seems surprising to most of us uh, that Emporia, Kansas, would be would become this sort of mecca for gravel. But, mm-hmm. but you don't seem all that surprised. What is it about Emporia that that has that unique combination of elements that has made it such a hotbed for gravel.
0: Well, I think, you know, I, I I really think there were some key components at the beginning that really kind of were like lightning in a bottle, so to speak. Um, For one, uh, the course is fabulous. Um, I just got back from driving it this past weekend um, and I literally get goosebumps. Um, It's very unexpectedly gorgeous. Um, It's rugged. It's remote. Um, it's stunning, um, and it's challenging. Um, so from that perspective, you know, I think we, have, we really have that going for us. And it's also a really relatively safe course because you're not coming across a lot of highways. And when we talk about riding gravel, that's what you're doing when you're doing unbound. There's very, very, very little pavement. Um, the second thing that I think we nailed and got lucky with is Emporia is really a great size for something like this. Um, we're not home to some big NCAA basketball or football team, which is kind of the other Kansas attractions, Manhattan and Lawrence have, you know, K-State football and KU basketball, you know, go Jayhawks, Rock Chalk. Um, (laughs) but, uh, Emporia, um, is the right size. Like the town can support an event this big and yet the town also gets really behind it because we have it's It's something to do, really. And so Emporia, really, the community embraced it. And I think the third piece that we really got right um, was the perspective of community and family. Um, you know, we wanted it to be a family event. That's how I got involved. Like my husband and I both rode bikes, but specifically, we were able to go to a checkpoint and cheer on Tim as he came in and help him out. we were part of the day, yeah. And you met other families that were there to be part of the day. So the support crew and the checkpoint towns really became this integral part of what we were doing. And pretty soon it was just like, it wasn't a fun day for just the athlete. It was a journey for the entire family. And being able to come here and do it and then have the, have the community get behind it just all kind of accumulated into this really fantastic experience.
1: Yeah. I'm curious because when when I see these events that do take off uh and you know we're seeing this mm-hmm. happen now in Trinidad Colorado is how do you get the community mm-hmm. buy-in? I mean a lot of it is hey we're going to we're going to shut down the main street inconvenient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're going to invite a lot of outsiders inconvenient. You know, how do you get the community <laughs> to get on board with that?
0: Well, I mean I think, you know, in the case of here in Emporia, it was it was slow growth, obviously. We didn't go from 35 riders to 4,000 overnight. It's taken years to get there. Um, but I think, you know, for one, personally speaking here in Emporia, I had been working with so many of these organizations as a volunteer for years. And when I went and pitched this concept of, hey, we're going to bring a bunch of people to Emporia and they're going to ride 200 miles of gravel People thought I was nuts. Um, they li- they literally thought I was nuts, but they were like, "This woman's been helping in the community. Let's let's just let's try let it. her have some fun with this idea yeah. and see if it actually works." And after the very first one, when we first moved it downtown, it was so fun to watch those community members being like, "Holy crap, this is going to work!" and get excited, and then coming and asking how they could help make it bigger and better. Mm-hmm the next year. So,
1: can you give me a comparison of what um, what Emporia itself was like mm-hmm. not not during the race back then, but the other parts of the year uh, compared to now yeah. when you know you've got that 4 or 5 days of excitement and that, what does Emporia look like? How is it different now than it was then? And I'm talking more it, of like a year-round thing.
0: You know, I think that there's a really great example when we first moved the event downtown. We had the Emporia's farmers, the Emporia Farmers Market, do a pasta feed out of the church basements across from the Granada Theater
1: uh-huh.
0: because there were no restaurants downtown. <laughs> wow! There were no there were no restaurants downtown. We had um, Bobby D's off to off on Merchant Street was the only one that was downtown at the time. And since since we moved this event downtown. Um, and believe me there's other things going on we have disc golf and other you know our main street has been super active in growing our downtown but but it literally went from a downtown of a ton of vacancies to very few vacancies restaurants to choose from to where the farmer's market came to me several years ago and we're like we're not getting a lot of people come into the pasta feed anymore i'm like you know which is great like that they they worked and helped me solve that problem at the beginning and then we didn't need them anymore, and they've pivoted and found other ways to, to be involved with the event. So, um, you know, it literally, since 2010, when we first moved it downtown to now, it's been, it's just a huge difference. And it's impacted the community, you know, those residual dollars that, that filter through and rotate through the community after event weekend. Um, I, we know it's providing jobs, and it's been a huge economic boost for, for Emporia, Kansas, for sure. Yeah.
1: What about, what about the other towns involved? I mean, there's the, the, the course goes through mm-hmm. some pretty tiny towns. Uh, yeah. Have those towns also embraced the race and, and capitalized on it? In for that sure.
0: Sense? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, we haven't been, we go back to Madison this year, for example, and we haven't been to Madison since 2018. Um, you know, you're always going to have one or two people that are, you know, grumpy gusses and kind of you know, just get their feathers ruffled and you've got to understand that. But, but the big picture is, is that it's so good for those communities and not just race weekend, like athletes come here now to train year round. So they're using these checkpoint towns and they're going into them, um, not just on race weekend, um, but you know, uh, of course, the biggest economic impact takes place in Emporia, but it does, it does definitely filter down to the surrounding communities and then also to these checkpoint towns. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Now, it, it's interesting to me that you said that there was there were no restaurants on Main Street back then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was I've only been to Unbound once, that was last year, and the Main Street is packed, and the the community yeah. really seems to be engaged, which is funny to me because you know I was walking through downtown. And there was just sort of the the I don't want to say stereotypical, but this you know the the old timer who's been in Emporia forever, (laughs) chatting it up with everybody just sitting on a park bench, you know. Yeah. uh, It was really wonderful to see, and that's a buy-in that I think is hard in our car culture. And I'm wondering if if you ran Mm -hmm. into any of that with you know, shutting down the roads, uh, you know, because one of the things about Kansas is just like Colorado, it's it's big truck land. You know, everybody loves the big trucks and they, they love to right. the drive. The communities were built that way. Emporia itself is more centralized, which I think is unique. Um, was there any resistance in that sense and uh, in, in any problems that you came across with that?
0: No, but I think we've also worked hard to have a very open relationship and dialogue with with the community um you know we we get to know the ranchers we work with them as we go through their their lands um what's interesting is like if another event you know uh, there's several other gravel events now around emporia and anytime there is one if there's leftover you know, or negative stuff, the place they call is us. I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't our event. Right. <laughs> you know? But, um, but they know that we will work to educate and work to try to get things done. I mean, is it 100% perfect? Is there 100% buy-in? No, but it's probably 98%, you know? Um, and I think we try hard to make sure that we're communicating both directions, both with the athletes on what some of the rules or the roads are and, you know, and then, but also with the with the ranchers and, and, um, people that are out working on those, uh, on those and the farmers that are out working those fields is like, we're coming through, this is when we're going to be there, just trying to raise awareness and making sure that they know. So. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What have been for you, some of the, the bigger challenges of uh, specifically as it pertains to the growth of unbound gravel. I mean, it, it really has gone from a, a, you know, a 35 participant event to you know something like over seven thousand now mm-hmm. i mean how, how has that growth presented you with challenges in terms of logistics in terms of uh you know community changes oh. uh, what wh- what has that been like for you to address those that massive growth
0: well the biggest obviously was in in um after the 2018 event we we did the sale to lifetime um from an independent, you know, grassroots event, which I do still say we have a lot of grassroots in our event for sure. Like everybody that's on our team rides a bike and participates in events, but it was, you know, the, the growing pains there with four of us. Um, I mean, after the 18 event, we knew like, this is too, it's too much. We need help. Um, and realistically speaking, I wanted to ensure the event for my hometown. Like I don't, you know, I wanted to know that Unbound Gravel was going to survive, um, Jim Cummins, Leland Daines, Christy and Tim Moan, you know, um, because we put so much, so many blood, sweat, and tears into this thing that we needed, we needed somebody to help us make sure that the longevity was there. And, um, Lifetime was just a really great partner and has been a really great partner in, in moving through this space, um, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know how we did it. Like, <laughs> I, I don't. It was a lot Yeah. towards yeah. the end. I mean, it was just like, we, just there's only so many hours in the day. And we had great volunteers and great community partners. But at the end of the day, there were four of us that were running the show. And it was just like mind boggling. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: we're going to, we're going to take a quick break here, but when we come back, um, I want to talk to you about the, the notion that, and I, I keep saying this and I don't know if anybody else agrees with me, but <laughs> I do feel like gravel is sort of this women led segment of cycling. That's something we've never seen before. And I want to talk a little bit about your part in that and, and the pros and cons of what that has meant for, for the sport in general. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Christy Moon.
0: yeah it's gonna be better it's gonna be different. I got a really good feeling about it this year.
1: it's gonna welcome be back better. to the slow guy and the fast ride podcast. I'm your host dan cavallari I am sitting in my garage in Colorado. It is pouring rain, which is a very unique <laughs> <laughs> unique day for Colorado um uh, but it's also raining where you are, so I, f- I feel better about it it is yeah okay i'm, I'm ready for spring though
0: uh, <laughs> uh Christie uh, so uh, you and me both
1: yeah. Yeah. Um you're you're probably more used to the rain than I am though. You guys get a lot more than, than Colorado does.
0: <laughs> we do.
1: Christy, I, I like I said, I just spoke with Amy Charity recently and she's the, the co founder of Steamboat Gravel and and you know, we had this very same conversation, but I wanna present it to you as well because uh you know, the gravel situation the gravel world seems to have been women led and and I think that's a broad mm-hmm. generalization in a sense it's not like there's not men involved but um it's really been interesting to see the engagement with uh, a new uh, crop of women who are getting into the sport and more importantly women who are sort of leading the way with a lot of these events um mm-hmm. in positions of you know of um uh, you know race organization and and things like that we see more women in leadership roles and more women racing and riding um, how do you think that happened? I mean, why do you think that happened specifically with gravel?
0: Um, I th- I think it's because it's so community focused. Um, you know, from from my perspective, I I mean, speaking specifically, of course, about the events that I'm involved in, the racing part is largely secondary. Um, you know, when you're talking to the media, that's they care about that pointy end of the stick, so to speak. They're really focused on that. But I think. For me, the stories that are amazing are the ones that are coming from those athletes that are finishing further back. Um, and I don't know. I, I just I feel like my role in this whole thing has been so community focused, and it's a, it's all come at a time where um, I think as a society we were looking for something like that. Um, and you know, I don't know if it's because of that when when we launched our two hundred women two hundred miles campaign. Whenever I tell this story, it's always like it always brings tears to my eyes because we launched this campaign to try to get 200 women to our start line um, and for the 200 mile distance. And my partners are great guys, but they're like, this is going to take three years for this initiative to be realized. And it took thirty minutes. Wow. Um, and I just I feel like there was that thing where it was just like in in our society, we were just really ready for a place where women could just kind of slide in and, and take it and run with it. And, and we did. Um, Gravel's is a space where it's, it's, if you want to show up and participate and play, we'll find a place for you. And that includes in the leadership, you know. Um, and heck, once you see, once you see these women getting stuff done, that's who you're going to turn to. You know, it makes sense. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping that, things we did with the 200 Women, 200 Miles and the stuff we've done around Unbound have inspired other women to step up and be leaders. I just came off of doing a gravel clinic in Bentonville this last weekend. And the one thing I told all of the women that were there is that my biggest hope for them when they left was to take it back and share that in their community and get other women on, on bikes, get other people on bikes, but really like pay it forward. And I think there's just a lot of that that we do as women naturally. And then you bring in the gravel space and that's it's lent itself to that already. Yeah. So
1: are, are there, do you see implications for the, uh, that template that you've, you know, gravel has created for women leadership and just women participation. Do you see that translating to other segments of cycling? I mean, it, or, and if there isn't, I mean, is there a possibility for that with things like road cycling where it's been so male dominated for so long?
0: You've got a, you've got a ceiling you have to break um, there. And so I think that's always tricky. Um, the path of least resistance is kind of where I try to live. Cause you know, I'm like, I want to get shit done. So, um, but, um, I think you're going to see it. I, I, I hope that what we're doing translates and that people in road cycling are looking at going gravel is really drawing people back to bikes in North America. So, what can we learn from what they're doing? And I'm hoping that's part of it. Is they look in their look at all these women leaders in that space. Um, that seems like a place where we could improve and you know start doing that. And there's there's really amazing women women cyclists that are in gravel that have come from the road scene. And I think you're going to see them kind of do this gravel thing for a bit, but then want to go back to where they started and make road cycling more inclusive and and more women friendly. I I hope it's just you know part of the transition. So
1: and I'm curious if that has entered the conversation with your crew at, at Lifetime about, you know, it, it, as as gravel has grown, road cycling in the US has largely died. Um mm-hmm. I mean, will we see a resurrection of that? And will that be women led just like we saw gravel? I mean, I'm just curious if that conversation. And road is, cycling? Yeah.
0: It's interesting because I don't know in from, from the conversations we have at Lifetime, some some of the stuff about road cycling that's so treacherous is like it's just it's just dangerous because yeah. of motorists and distracted driving. And um, I'm not comfortable riding my bike big, long distances on the road. Um, and I think that's going to be the interesting thing with road is, like, how does that come back? Because I, that's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for me is just gravel feels a heck of a lot safer um, traffic-wise. Maybe the Garmin radar will help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe. I, and I ask because, you know, one of the things that I noticed about Garment, or excuse me, Garment, about um, Unbound was, you know, that Main Street is for much of the, the weekend not closed to traffic, yet all the mm-hmm. cars and trucks going are very respectful of the cyclists. And I'm curious if that changed the mindset of drivers in, in Emporia over the years or even the infrastructure. I mean, is it, is it more, quote unquote, bike friendly as a result?
0: I, I, you know, if there's, that's probably one area that I think we could really improve in Emporia is making it more bike friendly. Um, You know, we try, but um, it's very, everybody is aware that the week, when the weekend's coming up, and I think people are generally speaking very friendly of cyclists year round, regardless, but we don't really even have the best infrastructure for cyclists. And it's super frustrating because you would think that the home of unbound gravel would have, bike lanes and things like that. And it's still a hurdle that we face here in Emporia to get that done. Um, we do little bits and pieces of it, but you know, there's, yeah, it's, that's, that's a hurdle period. I got to think that's happening in like a hurdle for most communities, not just Emporia, like especially the small town ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would love to say like, we don't, I think motorists, motorists here are aware and and are ve- very friendly, but I've I've heard of cyclists getting yelled at and whatnot. You know, they, they might have deserved it. Who knows? Sometimes yeah. we don't <laughs> do the best as cyclists either. So, yeah.
1: so there's still work to do. Is, is really the, the takeaway sure. there? Yeah. What is uh, you know going back to the the notion of uh, women led and and gravel fostering that? What what work is there left to do? I mean, you know, obviously it's not this, you know. A, B, black, white Mm. thing, you know, where where cycling is all of a sudden (laughs) friendly to women, you know, it's still an uphill battle. What's left to do to make cycling more enjoyable and welcoming for women?
0: Well, I think for me, and and I, I kind of have to remember that I have to keep repeating myself because there's new cyclists that come in all the time. So it's like, I feel like, oh, I've already said that. Well, I said that to somebody last year, and maybe that's where it stopped. I think the thing that I've learned the most, especially when we've been talking about DEI initiatives and whatnot, is we just need to make sure people feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And and although I consider gravel a very welcoming space, it doesn't mean somebody else does, and I need to make sure they know they're invited. And. I think it's just continually putting out the welcome mat and making sure that you're doing, you're doing things, your actions actually speak to that welcoming environment. Um, and you know, if you, if you're missing somebody from the start line or you hear about it, then, then it's your responsibility to figure out how you can make it better. Yeah. Um, and how, and, and who can help you do that. That's kind of been our big focus. Um, That's what I took away from the 200 Women, 200 Miles, is that basically what it turned out was that women felt like they needed to be invited. Mm. And as soon as you invited them in, they were ready to come. And it's just continually doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting notion, actually. I mean, to think about how we could we 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 often sit around in the bike world, you know, ten dudes at a table going, "How do we get more women here?" You know, and, and it's sort of this this echo chamber. It's like, man, if only there was a woman here, you know, to, <laughs> yes. to offer her perspective,
0: her perspective. <laughs> yeah, and
1: and what you just said, you know, basically, it's not good enough to just have it be. Open to women, it's more like right. you have to extend that invitation. That never would have occurred to me, you know, right. that, that that extra step is necessary, and it makes perfect sense, right? Like a traditionally uh, closed-off community is now open to me. That doesn't mean I'm just going to walk over there and, and hop in, right? So, right. extending right. that invitation is so so key, so yeah. important, and that's a perspective that I think, you know, we 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 went through this sort of reckoning in the last few years with all mm-hmm. of this, and. My gosh, that's so elemental and so basic, and we never even thought of it. And, and but
0: that's why I think you didn't think of it because it's right. so basic. Right. Like it's it's literally just like I'm like gravel is welcoming. What are you talking about? I'm like okay. And and I mean you know I went through that lesson with the 200 women, 200 miles. Um, so you know, not that I was ahead of any curve, but really understanding that with with lifetime when we started talking about how to make our li- start lines more diverse, I was like we need to go we we need to ask people to join like we and we need to empower them and we need to give them the space and we need to give them we need to give them the tools to continually invite their communities in so that you have you know last year's unbound start line was so emotional for so many reasons but one of them was was just the amount of diversity that was there was fantastic it was like this is this is what it should be, and we can do this, we can still do this better. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, so
1: yeah, and I think, I think too, uh, what you know, notable about this w- with Unbound in particular being there last year was that the fanfare around you know the women's pro finish and the men's pro finish was fairly equal. Although I will say, you know, Ian and Lauren's coming in the line together that added a little bit of a, a really cool element, it that, did, but uh, but you know, the, the fanfare and the excitement. It's all there for the women too, and to the point where I heard some fans saying, well, oh, hey, when's when's Lyle Wilcox coming through? I want to see Lail come through in the finish line." Yeah, right? You know, these names are here, and it's it's it to me it's it's a larger community of racers even being accepted, which I think is notable. Oh yeah. You know.
0: Well, we're we're creating fandom around the women.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah.
0: Um. And and you know the the one example I'll give you because you're right. Like last year's the men's race was you know sprint finish for yeah. all intents and purposes. Right. But if you if you if I ask you, and maybe you don't know this, and so maybe this isn't fair. But if you know who won the two thousand seventeen Unbound DK men and women, uh-huh. it do you know?
1: I I think so, but I'm afraid to say. Was it Al- Allison and Yuri? No. No.
0: Allison won the women's. It was okay. a sprint finished with Amanda Nauman. Oh, okay. But no one remembers the men men's women from that year because the women outshone the men.
1: Yeah, right, right. Who was the 2017? men's In 2017. Now I
0: gotta know. Matt Stevens. Oh, see, I don't,
1: I don't know. <laughs> now I feel, sorry, Matt. Apologies to no, Matt. No, I know, but I'm like, it's like, sorry,
0: Matt. But at the same time, like, to me, that was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit, we're doing something real yeah, here. Like, yeah. we're, we're creating an environment where the women are getting like I've personally seen Allie Tetrick, Amanda Nauman, Amity Rockwell, Lauren, De- I've seen their careers made off of their win here in Emporia, Kansas. Yeah, yeah. And that to me, I mean, they're still, it's still not equal.
1: Yeah, right.
0: I, I'll say it, but it's definitely a bigger step in the right direction. Sure, sure. Um, and that to me is, is super exciting that you know gravel is doing that like equaling and that the grand prix like get me started on that one (laughs) super stoked on that because like it's equal out of the gate it's an equal purse out of Mm -hmm. the gate yeah um
1: well i will say this too i mean going going to unbound i mean allison tetrick is probably one of the biggest personalities there and is probably one of the most Mm -hmm. recognizable quote-unquote stars of cycling to be there and i think that that shines through pretty clearly i mean you go into Mulready's and she's got her, <laughs> her life-size cutout in there. And she always tells me, she's like, if you don't see me while I'm there, go to Mulready's and say say hello to me there. Because there's a life-size yes. cutout <laughs> over in there. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that I think that really speaks volumes that, you know, you go into Unbound talking about – these competitors on both sides of that divide, you know, and, and there's only more excitement to come. I think as we figure out, we navigate the world of LGBTQ and and, and all that and and figuring out what, what that looks like in the future of racing. And that only opens the door for more personalities and more stars of cycling. So that's
0: really me. Yeah. I love, I love that part. Like we've got Rach McBride coming. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if you know, Rach, they are a, um, non-binary pro triathlete Mm -hmm. um and they're coming they're part of the grand prix um racing female in that because in the grand prix we only have the two divisions so Mm -hmm. as a pro she's there they are racing female but rach has signed up in all of our events in the non-binary category which Mm -hmm. i'm super stoked on abby robbins who was our 100 mile winner last year what i mean what a story there um So, you know, I just, I'm, I dig what we are able to do in the gravel space with fewer boundaries and fewer Mm -hmm. restrictions and fewer rules. I don't know. Yeah. Uh,
1: And to me, you know, I think we focus too much on the problems of sorting through all this stuff and not enough on the potential of what, what we're sitting, we're sitting here looking at an entirely new landscape that could be exciting, that can be, you know, enriching. And, you know, we focus a little bit on on the growing pains of the, the problem too much. Well,
0: let me ask you this question, turning it back on you a bit. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, everything's a little scary. I mean, I think change is scary mm-hmm. for anybody, you know? Uh, and and I, here's, here's an honest white dude confession. I find, sure. I find pronouns unwieldy right now. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like, I do. Like as a grammar nerd, I am Dan, the, I'm I, a total Dan, grammar I'm nerd. With you,
0: yeah, I,
1: I'm yeah. A, I'm to, and I like. I want to be. I want to be that guy who who is you know empathetic to that cause. But man, as the grammar nerd in me, my brain explodes. And so, um, but I think anytime you're you're heading into a situation where where things are different, and it's and it, and honestly, and it requires everybody to make a, a big mental lift, right? We have to change our mindset. And that is such a huge th- thing to ask of people. Yeah, uh, And I think that's where the resistance is coming from. Eventually that'll The die. other,
0: the, I think the other piece of that, because I think you nailed that part on the head. I think the other piece of it is you have to be ready and willing to make mistakes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And And right now in our society, when you make a mistake, it can kind of suck.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah
0: um cuz you get called out and you're like look this is honest try stuff this is like if we're truly truly going to turn the page and make this better mm-hmm. we all have to live with a little bit of grace and acceptance and understanding that we're all trying to do the right thing yeah
1: um well and and i and, think that speaks to the notion that forgiveness exists in a very gray area you know mm-hmm. in general and and yeah the, the way our society is set up, there is no room for navigating that gray area. I mean, everything yeah. is, is loud. It's on social media. It's it's big and it's scary. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't have the answer. I honestly, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's it's terrible because I have so much sympathy for the people who step in it and had honest intentions. But then there's, you know, there's the other side of that. It's like, well, how come we can't have some grace and some forgiveness? And, you know, yeah. it, but then you're asking an entirely, a, a, a group of people who have, traditionally not been forgiven and not had that benefit of the doubt and you were saying, Hey, can you just be a little better? (laughs) You know, like, that's a big ask. That's that's.
0: no, it's a big ask, but I'm just, you know, like as, as, as lifetime is navigating a lot of this stuff and really trying to be a leader in the space, like we're, we're okay with making the mistakes and that feels, I mean, if anything, the growth for me is knowing I have um, that backing So that, that fear is, I mean, it's, it's still there for sure, sure, but it's a little less Mm because it's like, you know, we're, we're really trying to lead by actions. Right. Um, right. And yeah. You're not always going
1: to get it right. I mean, it's just, that's just the nature of the game. You know, we figure it out as we go. Yep. For sure. Christy, I'm glad you're leading the way and I'm I'm glad you're working to uh, to do that so that I don't have to.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Yeah, that's what I'm here for.
1: I'm just here to stick wow. a, a yeah. Women
0: led right exactly. there, buddy. I'm just
1: I'm just here to draft on your wheel and, and stick a, a microphone in your face occasionally.
0: <laughs> I might say, hey, will you take a poll? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Come around, Dan. Right. Just keep in mind I'm the slow guy on the fast ride, okay? This but, <laughs> Uh, no, but that's an important point. I mean, we all have a responsibility to take a poll. I think that's a great way to, to end our conversation. That's there you go. Perfect. We're, it's like we planned that.
0: <laughs> we didn't.
1: No, I, we don't plan much of anything, you. <laughs> Christy, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today. And um, if people have questions, comments, uh, want to reach out to you, can they find you on social media anymore? Do you want them to find you on yeah. social media?
0: Uh, oh, I'm there. Okay. Um, I'm also a realtor, so you you can just oh, search okay. my name and you find me. But um, on Instagram, is probably where I'm the most active okay. uh KC Moan and
1: Excellent. And uh for those those of you listening, if you have questions for me or for Christy, I'm always happy to pester Christy, uh, so feel free to reach out to me as well. You can get me at Slow Guy Fast Ride on Twitter, at Slow Guy on the Fast Ride on Instagram. I love those extra letters. It's so convenient. And of course, and you can go to slowguyonthefastride.com and see all the other excellent content we are pumping out from reviews to stories to podcasts just like this one. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining me, Christy, and uh, we'll catch you all on the next episode of the Slow Guy on the Fast Ride podcast. Oh yeah, this will be a good year. Be a year. Oh yeah, this will be a
0: good year. You.